Hello people, sponsoring us today are Westway Nissan, the UK's largest Nissan dealership, selling all sorts of vehicles, large and small, private and commercial, they also don't only sell them, you can also get them to hire. They can give you up to 20% off vehicles if you are a member of the armed forces or if you are a veteran and they also for January 2019 have got some exclusive deals going on you can save a few k on your purchases there's only a couple of weeks left a couple of weeks left at the end of January there's not there's like eight days left at the time of this recording so get on to West Nissan get into one of their dealerships and have a look they've got lovely cars they're good people the managing director of the dealership is ex-military himself um and uh, and his boy one of his sons is ex-military and but sadly lost his life in afghanistan we were serving with three power so strong ties to military with west winnesan they also like to employ ex-military where they can so if you're looking for work if you need some uh, uh, employment advice um you're not sure what to do whether you're thinking about getting out or you're already out Give Westway a call, so give them a call if you want a car, if you're looking for a car, if you need something for your business, or if you need some advice on employment, they could sort you out either way. Westwaynissan.co.uk, and they're all over social media as Westway Nissan. On to our next sponsors, Rugby for Heroes. They're a not-for-profit organisation founded by a bunch of keen rugby players out of the old Levantonians Rugby Football Club. That's where they're based out of. They organise fundraising events to raise money for a range of armed forces charities, including 353, Help the Heroes, the Royal British Legion and the Soldiers Charity. They've raised over £100,000 for those benefit charities since they were formed in 2009 and they were formed to commemorate the loss in action of Private Joe Whitaker, who was a four-par lad serving out there in Afghanistan. They've got their next event, big event happening on the 10th and 11th of May of this year, 2019. It's a beer and gin festival at the Old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. That's a Friday and a Saturday. Friday evening, festivities, piss up saturday much the same but they've also got a fest not a festival a not a seminal what do you call it an exhibition match going on it'll be the old lemontonians team against a bunch of ex-military players and i have been roped into this myself i'm bringing myself out of retirement so if you want to come along and see me uh, put myself back into retirement with several injuries come along on the 10th 11th of may the old lemontonians Rugby Football Club. RugbyForHeroes.org. Um, if you want them on social media, it's Rugby Number Four Heroes. Rugby for Heroes. Cheers, fellas. Last but not least, Team Rubicon. A disaster response charity. Team Rubicon UK are formed almost exclusively of ex-military volunteers, but they have some fantastic civilian volunteers as well. Uh, the ex-military volunteers obviously earned their spurs in hostile character testing environments. Team Rubicon, their volunteers are known as Grey Shirts. They bring determination and hard-won experience to their humanitarian mission. Team Rubicon UK are one team with a bias for action, creating order in the wake of destruction. Right now, they are out in Indonesia in various locations, helping out the people there have been getting smashed by earthquakes, tsunamis, monsoons, you name it. At the last count, there's over 2,000 dead, 83,000 people displaced, and half a million children affected. Uh, I think uh, for the latest issues going on there with the monsoons team rubicon deployed a team on christmas day those people get up their christmas to go out and help the people in indonesia but team rubicon can only support these people in their times of need and in the future in the uk as well as overseas as long as their funding allows uh, if you're able to donate to team rubicon please go to teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate but you can also 
by going to tweetwithaconuk.org, become a volunteer. Uh, I am a grey shirt. I got a bunch of mates of grey shirts, and um, it is a fantastic organisation to be a part of. Really, really good. TeamRubiconUK.org. Do something good for people. If you can't do that, try and donate if you can. Thank you very much. On to the show today. My guest is Sam Marshall. Sam joined up the army uh, into the Remi, and he left the as a captain after 28 years um, from the Air Corps. He has since established a company called Monkey Mountaineering, which organises expeditions all around the world, up, funny enough, mountains. He's done some amazing, amazing exploits himself out in the Himalayas, even down to Antarctica. He dropped some proper knowledge bombs on me, which I'll let you find out in the podcast, because I certainly didn't know certain things, and, uh, and, and now I do. And it was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. You will enjoy it too, I am sure. H-Hour with Sam Marshall. Um, Sam Marshall. Pleasure. How do you? How are you after the drive? Yeah, I'm all right. It was a <laughs> it was a long way. Last ten miles were the slowest. Uh, what traffic? Yeah, I don't know what busy these are. By the way, the uh, the missus picked them up. Yeah, that'll be good. Timothy uh, Timothy Taylor. Uh, no idea. We'll taste them anyway. Cheers, mate. Yeah, cheers. Pleasure. Um. So obviously I know you're part of, part of, founder of Monkey Mountaineering. Yeah, that's right. What, what, um, what, going before that, what unit were you, were you sir? Um, well, I started off in the Rima, but I finished in the Army Air Corps. Oh, really? Yeah, I did quite a long time, 28 years. Canal. Oh, you, you don't look that old now, mate. What, what age did you join? Eight? <laughs> <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, eight. Um, <laughs> um, no, 21 actually. Right. Um, yeah, so I um, thought I'd like to join the Remi and mend um, helicopters and stuff. Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, but when you join the Remi, though, can you select what you're going to do in there? Like, I want to mend helicopters. Um, I didn't want to mend helicopters at the time. I wanted to join the Royal Marines. But right. in my youthful stupidity, didn't realise that was part of the Navy. Went to the Army Recruiting Office, <laughs> did all the tests, uh, and yeah, I... I did okay in the tests, and they said, well, you can do whatever job you want. I'm like, okay, um, tell me about some jobs. And he told me about this aircraft engineering stuff, and I went, that sounds all right, I'll have a go at that. Uh, and it was as simple as that. What, uh, how did, do you not have to, did you have to have any, like, school quals, college quals for that, or what? Well, yeah, you must have had it. Um, I left school with three O-levels and a, a GCSE, so. Hang on, what's the difference? Um, so I'm yeah. GCSE age, mate. Uh, sorry, sorry, not a, not a, so I, yeah, I did all levels, and where I weren't bright enough to do all levels, I did a thing called CSE, Certificate of Secondary Education. Right. So I got one of them, and I got three all levels, maths, physics, I mean, geography was my CSE, and um, oh, I can't remember what my other one was, but it wasn't English. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I wasn't the brightest, um, but I managed to pass all the tests. Uh, for the honest mate. So where did you go, where did you get based then? Uh, started off in Arborfield. Did my basic training there. Whereabouts is that? Uh, near Reading, outside Reading. Oh, right, okay. Yep, and then went to Middle Wallop, Army Air Corps Centre. Yeah. To do my trade. Suffolk. 
middle wallop is in Hampshire. Oh, uh, so it's in between it's in between Andover and Salisbury. Okay, right. So nowhere near Suffolk. Right. No, miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're thinking of Watersham, perhaps. I, mean, I think of everywhere. My geography is shocking, honest <laughs> to God. We had someone on you who was rowing the Atlantic. I said, where, 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 are you rowing, where are you rowing from? He said, he said where? Like, whereabouts is that? He didn't know. He didn't, we weren't sure which country it was. So where are you going to? He said it again. Where is that? Didn't know which country he was sailing from or to. <laughs> was, that, was that one of the Row for Victory team? It was not one of those. No, uh, it was not. Have you been following them, have you? Yeah, so um, Will... Yes, I have met him, but I've heard of him off Glynn, obviously. Our daughters went to the same school. Ah, oh, amazing. Uh, so I know Will, and I talked to Will about it, you know, before he... And so I've been following his progress. They've just finished, haven't they? Yeah. Shout out to Roll for Victory. Yeah. I mean, uh, good effort, lads. Yeah, good effort. <laughs> Nutters. Glynn, Glynn, you know we had Glynn Sadler on? Right, yeah, but I don't know... I, I don't, don't know. know. No, yeah. he came on, and he, uh, he, he he wasn't skinny, should we say. He wasn't plump, but he was obviously... He's living... He's enjoying life. <laughs> he just posted a picture of... Uh, of like post row with his top off flipping out he's lost the fucking weight yeah i bet they um, i bet they fatten up for that yeah yeah absolutely he was saying he was so for people listening or watching who don't know like glenn sadler came on a podcast um god i don't know when it was, i don't know which number it was but i think it was october november and he was off to row the talisker whiskey atlantic sorry digressing you mate just two seconds sorry, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> he was off to row the talisker whiskey atlantic challenge which is re- reportedly reputedly the World's toughest rowing challenge, 3,000 miles across the Atlantic from going from east to west. I don't know where, I don't know where to. Uh, it, depending on the size of the team, it takes like 30, 40, 50, 60 days. <laughs> Row for Victory is a team that's four when they just finished it. It took them, I don't know, 40, 40 days. Th- 39. 39, was it? 39. Yep. Yeah. Well, so Glyn got off and he's saying, he would post on Instagram. Like couldn't walk properly because they literally do. I think they were doing. They doing some crazy stags. Yeah, like having, two on, two off. I think. Well, yeah, but it was some of the, sometimes you're only getting forty minutes sleep. Nightmare. Yeah. See, so just I mean, in terms of like walking over that thirty nine days, all they've done is crawl out of that little cabin, yeah. sit in the rowing seat or on the shitter or in, into the bucket. I mean, with shitter into the bucket, and that's it. The thirty nine days. Your muscles must go crazy. Yeah, it must be weird. Yeah. A weird feeling when you get yeah. back on dry land and nothing's yeah. moving. Yeah. yeah, and there's people still out there doing it now. You got that guy Tim the Kraken. Oh, seen yeah. him? Yeah. One man in it. One man on his own. That's, an, that's a it's a nails challenge. That's unbelievable. I don't know what people think of when they think, I know, I'm gonna roll the Atlantic. Hmm. There's a guy there's another guy come on, Roy Dixon, he's doing it next year. And uh he's not a young fella. <laughs> he's like, fuck it, doing it. mental, mental, mental. Maybe it's good therapy. I think well, I was actually thinking about this. All that time to yep. all that time just to be thinking. It's, I mean, for some people it'd be good. Some people it'd be bad. You uh, know? All that sky, yeah, um, and that nothingness. Yeah, yeah, amazing. But talking about that, is that one of your appeals with the old uh, mountaineering? Uh, yeah, I suppose it is. Really, um, you get up into the mountains, there's no one there, and uh, when when there's no clouds, you've got all that sky uh, and all them views. Mm. It is. Um, I guess it is sort of therapeutic, mm. but also. Um, I guess it's just amazing. You know, you look at the you look at the planet and you think, "Wow, isn't it amazing?" It, nature, it, it, isn't it incredible? Mm-hmm. And the places mountaineering can take you uh, are absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. One one of the things uh, I've I've noticed with it since the advent of smart techno, smartphones and all that crap is that because <clears throat> I enjoy the outdoors as much as as much as I fucking love it. I grew up in Wales, obviously, 
you know, and uh, my, my old man's a jock, my mother's Irish, and they used to go hiking all over the place when they were, when they were younger. Dragging you around. Yeah, dragging me <laughs> around, yeah. And uh, in fact, I think I was conceived in a, a wild river in uh, North Wales, so I don't know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's a good story. It's a good, it's a good story, though. <laughs> I'd have to ask for that. Um, but no, is that I've noticed that you can... Put, you can get someone to sit. You can say to someone to sit there and and do nothing but think to yourself, as in a living room, do nothing but think to yourself for the next fifteen minutes. I say sit there. Almost impossible. Really difficult task. Climb up on the top of a mountain, and the same person will sit there for twenty five, thirty, thirty five, forty minutes, just just enjoying it. As long as the weather's right, it's enjoying yeah. it because it's all. I, I don't know. It's a combination. I think that outdoors, and also not having the ability, not having those things to distract you no distract there we go no distractions yeah that's exactly right no distractions no distractions at all um yeah and you can just get lost in your own thoughts mm. or you can just you know just chat to people that you're with and enjoy their company when, when was your first expedition then um how many have you done oh i've done quite a few um i'd have to count up let's start with the first one shall we <laughs> <laughs> so i was um I couldn't have been in, I can't have been serving that long, maybe five years. Yeah. It must have been, it was 94 perhaps. Yeah, 94. And I, I was lucky enough to get on a team that went out to the Annapurnas. Annapurnas, were they? Uh, so that's, it's Western Nepal. Okay. Um, so I think Annapurna, it's one of the 14, 8,000 meter mountains. Um, I can't remember where it sits in the sort of hierarchy of them, but it's not the biggest, it's not the littlest. It's in the middle somewhere. Uh, and it sits at the head of this, um, well, they call it the sanctuary, the Annapurna sanctuary. And you sort of go in through the jaws of these big mountains on either side, and it's a big circle of mountains. And so we camped in there for, I suppose it was probably about six weeks. Uh, and we had three objectives. Um, so it's a pretty cold place to live, actually. Uh, Is it like a village or what? No, it's just like a glacier. And with rubble, oh and sorry, rocks. Right, yeah. Okay, so right. it's um. It, it, oh, I've seen image. I've seen image. Sorry, I've seen images of like Everest base camp and that, which obviously in Nepal, yep. and all that rubbliness. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's a very similar, except <clears throat> where Everest base camp is a little bit more open. The Annapurna sanctuary is a bit closed in, so okay. the sun doesn't get in there until say ten in the morning. Oh, fucking freezing! Then. Yeah, and by two in the afternoon, it's gone again. So you got a you got a short window in there when when you're actually getting the sun outside of that. Oh, it's still light but it's just freezing. Mm. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I went there, I think I was the Lance Corporal, and there was maybe three, four Lance Corporals of us on the team, and we were sort of like, someone up there in the ranks was investing in us. We were keen keen climbers, done a little bit in the Alps, and uh, we got this opportunity to go to the Himalayas. Uh, so we climbed a mountain called Tent Peak, or the Nepalese for it is <coughs> Thorpachilli. Uh, great little mountain. I absolutely loved it. Why is that? What was? Why? What did you like about it? Well, first Himalayan peak. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah. Being up there and then looking up to see there's still another, you know, there's another mile of mountains above you. So yeah. even when you're at five and a half thousand meters, it's still a long way to go up to the the mountains that are surrounding you. Yeah. So tent peak is this little. Oh, so it's under eight k. And the 8,000 metres. Yeah, so right, it, it right, was right. Yeah, yeah. Fi- like five and a half. Yeah. So a little, a, a tiddly mountain, yeah. really. But still awesome. What's Everest? Everest is... 8-8? Eight, 8-8. Eight, eight. Eight, 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 I think Five and a half miles up. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being right up there. 
flipping it. So, I mean, I was, um, you, you're awed by your surroundings. Yeah. Because you're like, wow, where have I been transported to? And then it's not easy. It's hard graft. And sometimes you think to yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Oh, it would just be so easy to turn around. But you don't. You keep going. And eventually you get to the top and it's like, oh, this is just so awesome. And you forget totally how hard it was to get up there. You forget about all that. And you have that moment of, wow, isn't this, you know, isn't this fantastic? Mm. And then you've got to get down. And that's hard work as well. But when you get down, again, you, you look back at where you've been to and you think, crikey, I've, I've been stood on there. Um, and it's been awesome. How did, how did you get there then? How did you get to the base camp? Oh, so we flew into Kathmandu. I've got no, sorry, I've got no idea about, ex- I just, I just ah. know people, expeditions where people go climb my shit. Oh, yeah. Mountaineering expeditions are. Yeah. <laughs> so, so normally you, you'll fly to wherever that country, you know, yeah. where the mountain is. So in this case, <clears throat> Kathmandu in Nepal. And then on that trip, we took a bus journey, took all day. Um, there was chickens in the bus and there was stuff on the roof and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the roads were scary. And we stopped up every now and then and, you know, we ate stuff at the roadside, um, sample the local stuff. And then we got to this place called Pokhara. Just a beautiful place on the side of a lake, uh, surrounded by massive mountains. Uh, and then we started walking. So I think the walk was about eight days to get to get into the base camp. A flat or no, no. undulating? Yeah, so you, you, it's undulating. And generally when you're going up, it's fairly steep. And then you'll sort of terrace and then you'll go up again. And you might cross some passes and go down, cross some rivers. Uh, yeah, so it's undulating. Um, but you take your time. Because if you rush, you get altitude sickness. So the idea is to, the walking in is actually part of, I guess, getting fit to climb the mountain. What altitude are you at that point then? You start walking in. Um, so I can't remember just the exact height of Pokhara, but it's, um, it's below 3,000 metres, 2,500, mm. maybe 2,000 metres. So at what point does altitude sickness become a risk? Oh, well, so... It varies from person to person. Yeah, definitely from person to person. It, it doesn't matter how fit you are or, or what age you are or whether you're, you know, big, little, uh, what colour you are, what sex you are, it doesn't matter. And you can go to altitude, um, you know, on consecutive occasions and one occasion you feel okay, the other occasion you might suffer from it. Mm. So they say from about two and a half thousand metres you can start to feel the effect. It's not that high, is it? Nope. At all? Yeah, and um, they reckon from beyond about 3,000 metres, you shouldn't sleep any higher than about 300 metres a day. So you can go higher, but when you come back down, you want to be sleeping no more than about 300 metres above your last sleeping altitude. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, it's also, it, so it gives your body time to <clears throat> adjust to the, the lack of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Whilst, whilst you're awake and working or walking or looking at the view or whatever, you're distracted from any symptoms you might be feeling, or you might feel a bit of a headache, or you might be a bit thirsty or whatever, but you're out there enjoying it. But when you go to sleep at night, that's when, well, you've got nothing else to do, have you? And you can feel that your body is, mm. uh, you can feel the symptoms. Mm. So if you if you increase your sleeping altitude too quickly, that's when most people get sick. What is it? Is it caused by the, the, the combination of... Um, 
not enough, not as much oxygen there, and and you and your body is in inability to absorb enough. Or do you know what it is? Yeah, there's a lot of science behind it, and I'm not a scientist, <laughs> so I like to boil it down into simple terms. Oh, go on. Then. So, if you think of your body as a machine that can do some work, so some work might be walking, <clears throat> talking's a bit of work in it. Um, lifting your beer bottle that's a bit of work your body can only do so much work when there's less oxygen it needs to do some work internally to create new red blood cells to carry more oxygen around because it's the red blood cells that carry the oxygen around Mm -hmm. and it does that by I don't know some crazy method of it gets the bone marrow from in your big bones and it does something to make new red blood cells it needs lots of water and it needs lots of rest and it needs to be warm to do that so if you go rushing around, that's you're, you're doing more work. Your body ain't got time to... It, it needs to put its hand up and go, Oi, fella, slow down a minute. I'm trying to make red blood cells here. So it's about, you know, I like to... It's <laughs> For me, it's simple. It, it needs to make red blood cells. To do that, it needs to rest. It needs to have water and food. Um, and it takes time. So the more you rush around, the more you... Um, the more you carry in every bag and walk up a big mountain the less time your body's got to make mm. them red blood cells. So you, you've just got to chill out. And my, my my view of going, look, when I was when I first went on that first expedition in 94, I got altitude sickness. A, a good half of us got altitude sickness and we had to go back down, spend another night. How did it affect you? Um, How well, did it affect you then? I felt, I just felt terrible. I had a massive throbbing headache. I totally off my food. Um, felt sick, <clears throat> all that sort of stuff. Um, and... Some wise person said to me, yeah, you've got altitude sickness, you need to go back down. So you walk back down, and amazingly, you start to feel better again. Quite quickly. Yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. So you spend a night down at a lower altitude, and the next day you think, oh, I need to take my time now. Uh, and you're starting to learn about the process. Because uh, you're sold, you start rushing about, get up as quick as you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, yeah, and then so over time, <clears> when you go on your expeditions, you learn that, okay, you can be first out in the morning after your brew and your breakfast, but you want to be last in to the camp in the afternoon. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, if you're last in, someone else will already have the kettle on. So there'll be a, <laughs> so there'll be a, brew, a brew, brew waiting for you. And secondly, you're doing less work. So your body's got more time to create its red blood cells. Because it's taking you longer to ascend than descend, you mean? Yeah. Right, so okay. you take your time ascending. Now, there's no science behind what I'm saying. It's... That's my take on it. There is loads of science uh, for altitude, but if you start talking science, it you know you confuse people, don't you? And it gets complicated, and I I can't. It's just too complicated. Mm-hmm. So in simple terms, you need to take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to walk slowly whilst you're out on the trail. So there's nothing wrong with walking slowly, sitting on a rock, looking at the view, taking pictures, having a bit of banter, and just taking your time. That's the key. That's that's the key in in my mind. How come, uh, was it planned for six weeks in that first expedition? Yeah, actually, I think we came out of the mountains a little bit early because um, the weather turned, so it started to snow. Um, so really, we needed to we needed to get down. Um, but it was a great expedition. It was a great introduction to, you know, that type of mountaineering in, in the greater ranges. And, and I was really fortunate to get on that trip. When you say type of mountaineering, it's like a, because from what I've been looking at, it's like a mix, isn't it, of, you do all sorts. It's like rock climbing, it's just hiking, then there's flipping ladders across crevasses, <laughs> and it looks 
yeah. mental. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not quite, because I've only ever done, I mean, what have I done? You know, uh, I've done the, a bit at the Cairngorm, all UK Cairngorms and uh, the Glencoe and, you know, obviously Brecon and yeah. I've not, I've not even done Snowden, but that's walk on the track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But it, I guess you could say um, that's a component of mountaineering. So your trekking bit, your walking bit, that's one of the components. Your rock climbing bit, you know, you need to be able to climb rock, so that's a component. Climbing on snow and ice, again, another component. Dealing with glaciers. Walking walking in snowy terrain. They're all, I guess, components that add up to the whole mountaineering thing. Um, and to mountaineer and go into terrain like that, you need to be sort of skilled in all of them areas. When you were, when you do, when you did that one, that, that first mountain, that was it five and a half thousand meters? That's up and down in a day, right? No, no. So we went from the base camp. We had <clears> two <throat> intermediate camps, and then to the summit. So what are those camps? What are those camps like? Yeah, they can be pretty rough. Um, Just you, in your team. Yeah. How much weight are you carrying? Quite a bit. Well, it depends. So there's different styles. Cool. So. When they first climbed Everest, it's like a big assault. So they carry loads up, establish a camp. They come back down and sleep low. Then they'll start to occupy that camp and stock it. Right. Then they'll carry loads up to the next one. So it's like a big assault. And you, you're you ideally looking to carry not as much, not so much. So they'll do a load carry, they come back down. Then they'll carry the personal kit up and they'll occupy that camp. Then there'll be another load carry. So you, you're doing it in stages. So that's like the traditional siege tactics. The other way to do it is what's called alpine style. So we're going to climb that mountain up there. Let's say it's going to take us five days. We're going to put five days food in our bag, along with all our climbing gear. And we may take a tent or we may bivy, but we're going to take all the stuff that we need and we're going to set off. So that's alpine style. That's like when you're unsupported. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder. You got a little more kit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so to try and climb anything steep with all that weight on makes it a lot harder. So <clears throat> alpine style climbing in the in the big mountains is is less popular. Just because of the risk. Yeah, and I think just because of the effort involved and the fitness levels that you need, um, you're unsupported. It, it's hard work. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think most people like to know that. You know, there's more risk of suffering from altitude sickness doing it alpine style, because you're not going up and then coming down to sleep low. You just you're just going up. Ah, uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So people that climb alpine style will generally acclimatize somewhere else, or they'll go on a high trek, so that they've been to a good altitude before they tackle whatever mountain it is they're going to climb. If you get altitude sickness and you don't move down, does it not subside? Does your body not get used to it? Yeah, eventually, but but it could be weather. It, it could that. be fatal. Yeah. So if you if you um you know if you get an altitude sickness and you don't do anything about it, it could develop into excuse me it could develop into something like um, an edema, so fluid on your brain or in your lungs, and that that can be fatal. So you have to be aware of the symptoms and you have to do something about it. Mm. Uh, you can't afford to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, where were we before that? Oh yeah, so you, you, there was two. There was two intermediate camps. 
Yeah. They're up to the top. Yeah. So that's so what's that style of climbing then? You call well, it traditional, traditional. Or, or a siege style. Yeah. Siege style. Yeah, because you see you're sieging them out and you you're going up, you're establishing a camp, you're coming back down, you you're stocking your camp, you're occupying it. Where where are you where are you getting your stocks from? Where'd you get do you get them, buy them locally? What have you got? An element of that. It depends what you're going to do. Um so on big expeditions they tend to um food for the mountain. You want it to be light, but you want it to have lots of calories. So that tends to get flown in these days. So people take freeze-dried stuff. Mm-hmm. And food for base camp, you tend to rely on local supply. So it gets ported in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get fresh, you know, meat, vegetables. So you got when you're doing your freeze-dried stuff, I take it, you, what, what are you doing? Like, on a, how, how are you, how are you what, what's your heating? What's your cooker or not? Gas stove. Yeah, just a, yeah, yeah just, just a gas stove. Like, a lot of people use jet boilers. <coughs> jet boilers, yeah. Yeah, or you can get lighter stoves than that. But yeah, just a gas stove and melting snow. Do they not get impacted the higher up you go? Yeah. yeah, yeah, so the boiling temperature comes down. So Oh, does it? Yeah. Does it? Yeah. So because there's less air pressure, then the boiling temperature is lower, which means when you pour your water in your freeze-dried rations, it takes longer to hydrate. So you know when you have them, them freeze-dried rations and you pour the water in, it says, oh, leave it for five minutes and then stir it. The boil in the bag, right? No, no, freeze-dried, yeah. Freeze-dried, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, so if you're in the Arctic. Noodles. Yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't leave it long enough, it's crunchy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the colder the water, the longer it takes to be non-crunchy. So when you go to altitude. Oh, shit. Yeah, and all you want to do is eat because you're hungry. And, and you want to eat it while it's still warm, but it says you've got to leave it 10 minutes. Oh man! Yeah. So even though, so, I was because in my head there, my stupid head, I was thinking the boiling te- the boiling temperature comes down, so you f- your water gets hotter quicker. <laughs> no, it doesn't, no. does it? No, it just so it, it boils. Just it never, boils no, yeah. never gets totally hot. <laughs> so it boils at like I don't know seventy degrees instead yeah. of a hundred. Yeah. And if you just keep boiling, it, thinking that you get a hundred, it's never going. It just there. evaporates. Yeah. Oh no! It's yeah. not a positive thing then. <laughs> no. no, it's not. Jesus, how much how much lower does it get? Do you know? Oh uh, no, I don't know the oh, science. No, no. Really, you have to look at that. Yeah, I just know that as you I'm go pain up, in the arse. The, yeah, the boiling temperature comes down. Which the good thing is you don't need as much gas because you're not making it as hot. <laughs> yeah, be waiting longer. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, fucking nightmare. <clears throat> so what? Uh, you don't bring noodles. What do you bring? Yeah, you can take noodles. Can you? Yeah, yeah. There's no calories in noodles, is there? Nah, this is a snack. <laughs> so you you might put that in your in your little flask cup while you're waiting for the rest of the stuff. <clears throat> um, yeah, so these days, it, it'll be pretty much the same as what the guys who've rode the, across the Atlantic have been eating. You know, exactly the same freeze, freeze-dried stuff. Okay. High calorific value, lightweight. That's what you take. Is there any big no-nos? Like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, like uh, dietary no-nos, like don't eat this, or don't have, drink that, or obviously alcohol would be one of them. Yeah, no alcohol till you get back down. It's not. It's not good at altitude. Um, mm-hmm. But locals drink it at altitude. Yeah. They get, would yeah. you get more drunk at altitude? I've got no idea. <laughs> I've not tried it, but maybe it's something I should add to <laughs> my list. Yeah. It's your next expedition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah uh, a little bit of high altitude drinking. See how it goes. <clears throat> yeah. What about um, sugar intake and stuff like that? Or is it just bring whatever? Yeah, I think um, you you just need to have a, a normal diet. Yeah. Um, and as many calories as you can you can pack into it. You, mm-hmm. It's just like you're going to work hard, so you're going to want to eat more. But there's a there, one of the symptoms of altitude is it affects your appetite. So it, it can put you off your food, or it can give you, um, how do you say it? 
strange tastes. So something that you might have liked, suddenly go off because you know you don't fancy it. Oh really? And that altitude's done that to you. That's oh, just like the pre early early signs of it, early symptoms. It's a bit like being pregnant, apparently. When, when they go off the food and they have strange requirements. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that once a month? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, sorry, ladies. <clears throat> um, how many peaks did you do in that six weeks? Uh, we submitted one and we tried two others, but yeah. the weather conditions weren't good for us. It's um, a nightmare. Yeah, so there's the thing about going to the Himalayas. Um, it costs you a lot of money and sometimes you don't summit on the mountains that you, you intend to climb because the weather and the conditions is I, not good. I've heard Everest is like 75k minimum, isn't it? Oh, it's a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't really appeal to me. It's um, Everest, because it's been done so much. Yeah, but I think just because it... It's a rubbish dump as well. Yeah, and it's just really commercial. <coughs> and I suppose... You can go solo though, can't you? Yeah, but there's still going to be all them other people. Mm. They'll just all be there, won't they? Just getting in the way and stuff. Dumping their gas canisters. Get, yeah, getting rid of the gas canisters, clogging up the route, getting in the way. It's so, a massive issue. I've, I've read about it last year. It's a massive issue, isn't it? It's ditching shit. There's yeah. some big projects going on, isn't there, locally, with, with trying to get all that crap off the mountain. Yeah, and I understand that the Chinese government, uh, so the Chinese control the north side. There's the two easy routes. There's the North Ridge. Well, none of them are easy, but sort of easier than the other routes. Uh, the Chinese approach from the north. And then the one you see where they go through the horrible glacier, the South Coal route, that's in Nepal. I've just heard that the Chinese are... Oh, it's on the border? Yeah, yeah. I on, didn't know that. Yeah, it's right on the right. Oh, on the I did border. not know that. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry, go on. Um, so I just heard that the Chinese are <clears throat> uh, reducing the numbers that they're allowing on the mountain from spring Yeah. Uh, by about a third, and that they're injecting a load of money to do some cleanups, and they're, they're going to start bringing Ooh. out lots of, lots of rubbish. Who's got the harder side? Hmm, I don't know really. Poss- I've not, I've not got much knowledge of the north side. I've got some friends who've climbed it, uh, some military friends, but hmm, I don't know. It's probably six or one half dozen of the other. Mm-hmm. I don't like on the south side. The ice fall it, it does take its toll, and that's where a lot of casualties happen because um, you've got this big, massive river of ice falling off the mountain, um, and you get them big blocks of ice tumbling down, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. not good. Hmm. But yeah, there is um on the Nepalese side, they they bag up as much rubbish as they can. And it gets helicoptered out. That's good. Why do, why don't people just bring the canisters down? Yeah, that's an interesting question, isn't it? So what leads to them dumping them? Obviously, they get empty. So what yeah. are they doing? They're going up with the, with the oxygen and the oxygen, the air. Yep. Then it runs out. Yep. And they bin it to put a spare one on. Yeah. Why don't they just put the empty one where the other one was? Yeah. How'd you carry it? Will you explain to me the configuration? So, so oxygen bottles are not that big. Um, I guess they're a bit smaller than diving bottles. Go into your rucksack. Oh, I've seen them on ambulances and stuff. It's yeah, tiny, exactly. aren't they? Tiny. Yeah, just them little ones. Yeah, size of your thigh. Yep, yeah. size of your thigh. So they go into your rucksack <clears> and uh, you just carry it up. They don't bring it down because it's effort. It's empty. Yeah, yeah, it's empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> yeah. But if your burger looks smaller, it's lighter, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, it- but so yeah. imagine, so up at those altitudes, it's effort to put your gloves on. Yeah, it makes you out of breath. It's effort to tie your bootlaces. You know, it's all just effort. <clears throat> and um, I suppose it's really easy to sit here and go, oh, because they're idle and they can't be bothered to bring them down. But actually, that's what it is. It, because it's so much effort at those altitudes. But so, I want to go through this. I want to think through this now. Go on right, then. So. Go on then. <clears throat> My oxygen has run out. 
Yeah, right. I was running out. <laughs> okay, you need a right? new no oxygen. Need... Air, it's air. It's not oxygen. Yeah, it's yeah, air, right? yeah. So you, need a, you need a new canister. So I, I have to, I have to stop and sit down. Yeah, I take my backpack off. Mm-hmm. I put it down in front of me because my canister is in there, right? So do I unscrew my empty one first? I've never used oxygen. All right, good effort. All right, so I, so where, the oxygen's on the back. Yeah, it'll be in your rucksack. In, no, the connected oxygen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Is on my back. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to unscrew that one and I put it on the floor next to me. And I, I see where you're going. And I screw the other one on. Yeah, yeah. Right? It isn't that much effort before I close up the Bergen, the the, the backpack, to pick up that canister, no. which is empty, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And put it in. Yeah. Lazy as is. Lazy. Yeah. I th- <laughs> Not that I've ever been up. No. You're lazy, you Everest. Scalers, what do you call them? Yeah, uh, Everest uh, ascend- ascenders. ascenders, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, <laughs> climbers, uh, scalers. Yeah, yeah, they're just yeah, yeah. It's hard work. Um, quite often, they've got a Sherpa there carrying that spare oxygen for them. Hmm. So there's a lot of issues up there with yeah. You know, when the weather closes in, I I wonder. So people guide on Everest. You know, I say I've never used oxygen. I, I think I've got quite an ethical approach to mountaineering. Um, might not be widely held, but the mountains there, wearier. It's only like in the Olympics, isn't it? You're not allowed to use drugs. So why use oxygen at altitude? Your body can acclimatise. You can still work. There are people that climb without oxygen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a, It's an ethical question. Mm. And and I I also think that that applies to guiding. So when you're when you're at those, I mean, I've only been to seven thousand meters, and that was hard enough. But when you're at them altitudes, it's quite an effort just to look after yourself. <clears throat> so I wonder how guides manage to look after themselves and somebody else, and how much looking after other people can they actually do at those altitudes. So are they then, worth it? Yeah, and are they worth it? Uh, and is it ethically right? Uh, you know, are they actually looking after other people? I mean, I'm not suggesting for a minute that, that the guides at Guide and Everest don't look after people, but I question their ability to do so. When, I suppose when it's lot, such a struggle to look after yourself. <laughs> yeah, physically. I mean, I suppose a lot of the a lot of the stress would come in those. You know, if you go in, there. I mean, some people rock up to go and do Everest. It's the first time doing anything yep. like that, isn't it? Yep. Right, nutters. Like men. <laughs> did you see the Ant Middleton Everest? No, I did not. Where he had a go at some punter who was struggling. I did not. Lives. I'll have to watch it. I did not. Yeah, not, I did not because he went up with Nims, didn't he? The Gurkha. Yes. Oh, I, I believe I, so. I, I by sh- chance met him last week. Ah, right. So, okay. yeah. And then he said he was talking about Ant. Yeah, he was talking about Ant. So, uh, and then that got on radar then. And, um, yeah, just by chance last week. So, no, I'll have to watch that. What What is it on? Um, I think it was Channel 4. Is it? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> what, what did he have a go at for? Uh, this geezer was um, struggling on one of the ladders in the icefall uh, or one of the steep bits. Um, and everyone was having to wait. And uh, when Ant finally caught up to him, you know, it's, it's obviously, we've been waiting for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, getting cold. It's not really good. And he just basically had a go at him because he he shouldn't be there. Ant's view was, you shouldn't be here. You're not a mountaineer. It's his first time on the mountain. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. 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 I, can, I can't understand that. Because yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're putting laser risk. You are. You are. And and you can understand his, his outburst, but 
that's the nature of it, isn't it? That people people want to climb Everest. They want to get that Instagram picture of them on the top of the world, <laughs> and they pay someone to take them up there, and, and then they struggle, and they struggle all the way up. Um, yeah, and that's just how it is. I mean, going back to the guides, I think the <clears throat> a huge stressor would be if you like your first time doing anything like that. Maybe you've done like Penavan or something, or flipping Snowden, or you know, or um, what's the what's the English? Uh, Highest one, Scarfell Pike. Scarf, Scarf, yeah. Scarf. I didn't know that until last year. Scarfell's Pike. Scarfell Pike. <clears throat> Scarfell Pike, right? Um, but a lot of stresses would be not knowing, like you know, you get to the base camp, or you get off, you get, you land at Kathmandu, you get off, you get on the bus. Where do you meet your guide uh, there, or would you meet your guide at base camp? Well, I would hope if you'd paid all that money to climb Everest, you've met your guide in the UK. And you've done mm. a bit of training, mm. um, and you've met other people on the team. Um, but I, I'm, I'm guessing not, this isn't what happens. I'm not sure that's always the case. I think maybe people do meet, you know, in Kathmandu. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stresses would be where, where do I get stuff from, what do I do, where are we going tomorrow, who should, where do I, where's the best place to pitch, blah blah blah. blah. So all, the, so the guides would be, I mean, for me, would be like the local knowledge, yeah, that kind of stuff, worth yeah. the weight in gold. But then, like you're saying. When you're on the mountain, I don't know. Maybe not. Interesting. If, interesting. If, I can't comment on it accurately because no. I ain't got. A, I've never been. Yeah. Right there, mate, so I don't know. But you know, if you if you're going to spend all that money to be guided up Everest, you've done your research anyway. You, you should know how fit you need to be. You should know what skills you need to have. Um, you, you should have done an element of training, I, I guess. Since like, how many times you've been out to um, the Himalayas since uh, since then? Uh, over half a dozen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you went? Uh, last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what's has there been like an evolution or devolution in the quality of the Sherpas as time's gone on? It's become more commercialised. Because I would imagine back in '94, the standard or just not the standard Sherpas, not a standard Sherpa. I don't mean that. I mean that. Um, I, I would say that standard Sherpas over time have become more diluted. There's more. People try and get them on the bandwagon and earn some cash for it because ah, yeah. it's a good source yeah. of good source of income for them, right? Yeah, it is. So, and with internet and um, better media, there are more people aware of Everest, more people have been going to try it. So, did yeah. Sherpas in more demand? Yeah, I think that. Explain the Sherpa for people who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. So, I just realised Sherpas actually. Um, oh, I might get this wrong now. I hope I don't. I hope I don't <laughs> insult any Sherpas. But it's um, so it's um. It's a people, so it's not it's not a job or a role. It, it's it's a people, so it's a race of people or um or um is it a Hindu caste or something? Um, and it's a surname, so it's all that's like a, a set oh, of people. It? Yeah, and they don't all work in the mountains, and they're not confined to the mountains. So Sherpas are widespread uh, within Nepal. So it's a, it's a people rather than a job, like a tribe. Yeah, that, that, I guess. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it and I say I don't want to insult that people but yeah, yeah it's a people <sighs> so not all of the people that you have on a trip into the mountains they, they might not all be Sherpa people but they're doing what we see as that's a Sherpa job and I think it stems from the original expeditions when it was Sherpas that did that and then lots of other people right. got on the so, bandwagon so I'm guessing now if you got a Nepalese dude and he's, he's guiding you up then you got yourself a Sherpa you would say no yes right yeah but okay. it might not necessarily be a Sherpa <coughs> I see I did not know that yeah got you. but you, you're quite right about what you say when I, when I first went out there uh, in the mid 90s 
I guess the quality you got was was good. You know, and they they looked after you really well. Um, anything that needed to be carried was carried. Camps were set up. That's still the case, but you've got to be a lot more choosy. So, if I think of, um, so what Monkey Mountaineering do is we do our research. We make sure we're getting um, quality, well qualified people to work for us in the mountains. Whereas you can turn up in Kathmandu and you can arrange yourself an Everest Base Camp trek for a really cheap price, but you won't get good quality support. And if something goes wrong, so you get altitude sickness, your guide won't know what to do about it. Okay. The guide the guide might be someone who's <coughs> looked on Instagram at all these pictures. He can speak Nepali because he is a Nepali. He's got nothing more than a pair of trainers and he's going to guide you to Everest Base Camp. And it's not that hard to do that. You know, the trail itself is not that difficult to follow, but it's what goes, what can go wrong and what can go wrong whilst you're on that trail. And that's why you need to have good quality guides, good quality porters, that whole, I guess, sherpering aspect of it needs to be um, of a certain quality to make your trip enjoyable. When, When you're saying about the porters, so you go in, you guys... Plus a guide if you got one. And you get a bunch of other people carrying the other kit. Yeah. So if you've too much for you to carry then. Yeah. So you don't have to. But if you go back to that simple analogy of the more work your body has to do, uh, yeah, yeah, the harder yeah. it's going to be to acclimatize. Yeah. If you make the bag that you carry light, so you're just carrying your warm jacket and your yeah. waterproofs and your, your lunch for the day and stuff, your sleeping bag and everything else that you don't necessarily need in the day, pay a porter to carry that. Ah, I see. I see. So, um, what was your, that's right. So there we go. Monkey mountaineering. So you organize expedition then? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we, um, we have some standard offerings like Everest Base Camp, uh, Kilimanjaro, Tubecal in Morocco. I don't know if you've heard of that. Tubecal? Yeah. So Tubecal, the highest mountain in North Africa. No. Okay. Sits in Morocco. Okay. Uh, 4,167 meters. Really good. It's in the Atlas mountains. Um, really good trek. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we offer stuff like that. Uh, and we also offer bespoke trips. So if somebody wanted to, you know, they've got their eye on a specific mountain, they get in touch with us and we can we can make that happen. Yeah. Make the arrangements. So you're like your Morocco, what's it called? Tube Tubecal. I just found that. Oh, now you're asking. T-O-U-B-K-T-U-B-K-A-L. Tubecal. Oh, yeah. So that's like off-the-shelf stuff. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so we have a yeah. off-the-shelf stuff, um, which um, you know lots of companies offer, um, all of different prices and standards. Um, and then we've got bespoke stuff. Who's the team made up of? Um, so it's it's me and my wife, okay. and my business partner is Becky. Becky was married to um, WO1 Adrian Lindley, who was sadly killed in service. Um, then we have a doctor who's currently serving in the Navy. And we've got um, Glenn, who is our, I guess, chief instructor um, on the team. But it's mainly me that does the work at the moment because we're only small, we're growing. Um, We've only been, I guess we've been running for 22 months now. Oh, okay. So we're only, we're into our second year. We come to the end of our second year Uh, and it's going well. Um, Yeah. So was last year, was your expedition at Everest, not Everest? Himalayas last year with that part, with that with Monkey Mountaineering. Yeah, so that was a recce. Oh, really? So we were wanting to offer trips and treks in Nepal. Um, we didn't have an agent to work with in Kathmandu. 
So did lots of research, got recommendations. Agent. Yeah, so like, someone like a like an in country fixer, someone who's, who's local that can get things specific done for, for the mountains. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, someone that's got a good reputation, someone that understands, <clears throat> um, and can work to our standards and to our company ethos, um, which is, I and mean, we, I think that it's important to invest in the local infrastructure so that your your travel is sustainable, so that tourist money goes to local businesses uh, and local economies. As opposed to what? As opposed to the big um, corporate groups where they send out Western guides and Western leaders and only the minimum amount of money goes into the local economy. Mm-hmm. And it's not sustainable because the group sizes are too big. So we, we specialize in small groups uh, and using local guides. Now, I could go and guide Everest Base Camp, but what do I know about that local Nepalese culture? What could I impart to you? How could I take you and say, oh, this is you know such and such? I can't do that because I'm not local. So I think it's important if you're going to travel to those places to have that, you know, to be immersed in the local culture as well. I agree with you. What's the point otherwise? Exactly. I agree strongly with that, yeah. Yeah, so so we like to use locals and local guides, but it opens up a bit of a minefield because you don't know what quality you're getting, so you've got to do a lot of research. How do you... Oh, right, I was going to say, how do you police it? Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. start off by, right, Who 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 could we look to and then narrow it down through recommendation and, you know, past experience. And then go out and do a recce and, a, and basically do a, a check, you know, <coughs> see how they get on. So um, go on a trek with them, see what happens, see what see what they're like. Ask them questions, what what would happen if we're sick now? What would we do if the weather came in, you know? Find out, make sure that they're qualified, make sure that they are capable. Do they know that they're being... Um... Oh yeah, I, you've got to be upfront about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust. So if you want, if you said Sam, right, I want to go to Everest Space Camp. I'd say oh, that's really great. I couldn't just send you off with any old randomer because that would be possible. Yeah, yeah. You could just book it on the internet, <clears throat> and and I could say, you know, Mister Miggins will meet you at the airport, and you'll be on your Everest Space Camp trek. I, I couldn't do that. For me, I've got <clears throat> to know that whoever's going to take you there is responsible, capable, and they're going to look after you because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll come back and go oh sam that was rubbish if you come back yeah if you, well yeah if you come back, <laughs> if you come back yeah. yeah and so you know for me it's all about being responsible and making sure i couldn't guide all these trips and it, and it wouldn't make sense because i don't know nothing about the local culture um so it's for me it's all about investing in those local economies yeah i mean the, the when you go away i like i can't really I've always struggled to understand. No, no I've struggled to understand it. I've <clears throat> almost felt sorry for. If that's the right word. If that's the right phrase or not. Always, or wished people would would be more inclined to when they go on their holidays, like to flipping, you know, uh, all inclusive holiday to Tunisia, for example, or Mexico, or wherever. To go outside the wire and go and I mean, choose this example. This yeah, example. Well, I went there, I went there, and it's like, and I wanted to go out. <clears throat> it was the first thing I saw was we're inside, amazing water park inside, right? Yeah. Food, mega, um, good people, you know, like local people working at the resort or the hotel. And then I could see a 
it wasn't a mountain. It was like a, a, a large hill. Yeah. You know, and I thought, oh, get there. Yeah. You know, and I'd be up five, six, you know, five, six in the morning when, when the kids are still asleep. Obviously, their mum was with them. I'd be walking down to the beach, going on the beach, just doing exactly that. Experiencing all of it outside of. Yep. Out, meeting the people. Yeah. Eating the food. Eating the food. Eating the food. Yeah. Seeing the local <clears throat> places of interest. Yeah, Le- learning about the local traditions. Yeah, yeah. I think nothing better than hanging with a hanging with a uh, a local guide or who could be a sherpa, depending on his background. Well, yeah, you know, and just shooting the shit with him, loving it, yeah. learning the language. Exactly. How do you say hello in Nepalese? How do you say this? How, you know, it's Ex- yeah, it's that's to me that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. travel should be. Yeah, but, you know, you could have those all inclusive places with the water parks. If we had sun in the UK, you know, that could just be over there in Warwick, couldn't yeah. it? it yeah, in yeah, a little yeah. walled compound all with its tendered lawns, you wouldn't need to go outside. And why would you need to fly to Tunisia? Mm. So, yeah, travelling is all, should be all about immersing yourself in mm. that, wherever you are, that local culture. Yeah, I used to, I think about Tunisia, I, I, I was <clears throat> getting into amateur photography at the time. I used to go out early in the morning, just cut about, because the sunrises were unbelievable. It's like May, but it's always red. Someone got to be yeah, red. Yeah. Yeah. And if I look one way, I could see it. I could see the, the light behind me shine across the ocean. And if I look the other way, I could see the light shine across the tops of yeah. the of the city. I can't, I can't remember whereabouts in Tunisia we were. But I used to go out, <clears throat> and it's obviously quite, some areas are quite public stricken. I used to, I used to walk down the road. There'd be big derelict buildings, and I used to try and find my way into derelict buildings, get on top, so I could get on top of these buildings, oh, yeah, find, yeah. find the great shots. Like, cracking, like cracking time. Anyway, yeah, it was Tunisia. Tunisia. There's no mountains there, I think. Um, I think I think a terrorist nah. attack was a year after, actually, when they just started shooting everyone up on the beach, wasn't it? Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that put people off, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you get the Chinese come, uh, the uh, the Nepalese site, to the, to the gap, the mountain, Everest? Do you know? Do you get the Chinese coming around to the Nepalese side? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I imagine yeah, you do. they're right dodgy with the borders, aren't they? Yeah. I imagine it won't be easy to scale it from their side. Although I've got a friend who's ex-military, and he went out there as a journalist, lived there for a few years. So, uh, hmm. I don't know about that one. Where else have you been? So apart from Nepal, other yeah. expeditions? Um, so I've been to Nepal a few times, but I've been to northern Greenland. I've been to the What's Antarctic. Greenland, like? Oh, when I looked in the fantastic. map. I looked in the map the other day, and this is this is just by chance, but a week ago ish, I was looking at the map. I can't remember what I was looking, and I looked some Greenland, right? It's that massive expanse of land, yeah. But all of the built-up areas are all on the coast. Yeah, there's nothing in the middle. Absolutely, <laughs> no, no. no one lives there. No, no one in the middle. Absolutely. Why is that? Is it all because all mountains? Yeah, well, and it's and it's <laughs> ice cap, and in the wintertime, it's ah, right. really inhospitable. Um, and in the summertime, yeah, well, there's just nothing there. Glaciers? Yeah, glaciers. So we um, we did an expedition in 2007, which I, it was my mastermind, I, my, my brainchild. Um, and I wanted to go somewhere where no one had been. Um, so we just... Literally no one had been. Yeah. We, one person, we could only find one person that had been through the valley uh, where we had our base camp. <coughs> and he'd gone through in the, I think it was like the 50s with a dog sled. And uh, yeah, he'd gone wild. There's some big mountains here, and the the whole the whole area had never properly been surveyed, so it had been surveyed from a ship looking up the glacier. Uh, and and I, oh, was it on the coast? It was about sixty <clears throat> miles inland. Okay, uh, but I I likened the area. You know, the map was Johnny Age Five of a crayon. None of the contours <clears throat> seemed to fit. 
the none of the none of the altitudes corresponded with the GPS. And just to the west of where we'd made our base camp, there was just a blank area on the map. Like, you know, here be dragons. There was nothing there. <laughs> and we, we climbed the mountains to look into that area to see, wow, what's in there? Um, so you know, that was great. We we made, um, we weren't overflown by any commercial air airplanes. We couldn't get the world service on the radio. Um, we couldn't get our sat phone to work unless we walked for two hours up the flank of this valley. Oh, you went, it was a sat phone. It was an Inmore sat one. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't take them again. <laughs> Go on. Um, you know, and we made 29 first ascents. So it, it was just a fantastic expedition. Eight of us. Um, we all got on great. Um, we were there for a month. Uh, we, we flew in on this aeroplane that had, well, it was a twin otter. I don't know if you know that type of plane. Yes. Guess, uh, he comes in on the ocean, lands on the ocean. Can, yeah, you can put, you can put skis on, on them. <clears throat> oh, but right, this, yeah. this didn't have skis on them. Um, you can get about eight people. And enough kit to last you a month. That's all it'll take. And um, in the summertime, when they're going to land in them parts of Greenland, um, off the glacier, they just basically put these massive DC three wheels on, you know, let half the air out. And we flew round and we thought, how are we going to land down there? And all of a sudden, he just put it down and it bounced a few times, like, blimey. And then when that plane went, nothing, there was nothing, nothing for a month. That's mental. Yeah. What? What's what the green? Because Greenland, I'm thinking it's a bit of an anomaly, isn't it? No one you you Greenland in anything. It's never on the news. You don't know what language they speak. Did you meet any Greenlanders? No, didn't meet any. <laughs> didn't meet anyone. <laughs> Just uh, muskox, big massive Mus- muskox. Muskox. Yeah, and foxes came what, around. What are muskox? Ah, oh, so it's like um, <clears throat> don't know how to describe it. Really. It's a big massive hairy Highland cow, but like like a buffalo. But hairier and probably bigger. Where did you fl- sorry? Where did you fly from to Greenland? So we flew from England, yeah, to to Iceland to Reykjavik, yeah, and then we flew from Reykjavik into a place called Constable Point, which is what it's on the east coast of Greenland. I think it's like the most northern commercial runway they've got. You can get a charter, fl- you can get a commercial flight to there, right? Um, and there's, there's like a, a village there. Well, so you give your passports and that in then. Yeah, but no one, no one really looked at them. And then we got, um, we chartered, um, we chartered a plane from there to take us to where we wanted to go. But actually, when we when we flew from Reykjavik, we didn't fly to Constable Point because the charter operator said it'd be better if we flew you to there's a place called Mestersvig, I think where they do some mineral mining. So we flew into a gravel airstrip there, and then the charter plane took us from there. So it's quite an interesting journey. But yeah. Nothing there, just mountains and glaciers and wild wildlife. I'm googling Greenlanders after this. Yeah, they must be it. English. They what was? Did they have a weird accent at the uh, airport? I think it's part Danish. But, uh, Greenland is part. It's like Denmark. Is it? I think it's a. Oh, is it? I think it's like a. Yeah. What, what do you call it? A territory or a? Oh, big old ter- Yes, you're right. Danish. You are right. I yeah. know it's at the brackets. I thought, fucking hell, they prof there. Denmark's tiny, and they've got that. But they that got massive got the whole of Greenland. <laughs> yeah, there are all those mountains and the old uh, what are those animals called? Muskox. Muskox. Yeah. <laughs> do they have uh, mooses there? Moose, meese, moose, mooses, mooses. <laughs> I've got no, <laughs> yeah, I've got no idea what, no, yeah, yeah. They, they'll have deer, um, but further south, I think. Mm. So yeah, we were 500 miles north of the Arctic Circle there, <clears throat> um, and it was really good, but I'm, I'm going 500 back. miles north of the Arctic Circle, yep. 
Fucking I'm going back to Greenland this year. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm going in at the end of June. So I'm guiding. Uh, there's a uh, in the south of Greenland, just above the Arctic Circle. There's a trail called the Arctic Circle Trail. Right. It's a nine-day trek. Uh, it doesn't get guided commercially very often. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm going to guide that in in June, at the end of June. That'd be cool. Places available if anyone's interested in coming. Give us a shout. The link will be up in the uh, the blurb after this, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, how did that come about then? Did someone put in a special request, or did you think that up? No, I just thought it up. I thought, well, you know, what what can I go and do? Um, you got to, you know, further your um, further your offerings. What would be great? Um, I don't know. I'm sort of inspired by the Arctic Circle Trail. Not many people go there. Have you done it before? Nope. Not Are you going to wreck it? Nope. I'm just going to go and do it. Mm-hmm. it. I've looked at the map, done a map wrecker. I've read as much as I can about it. Don't seem to be that difficult. You just got to carry nine days rations in your tent. Oh, sorry. And uh, yeah, and it's totally unsupported. Obvi- obviously, we'll be taking a sat for and all that sort of stuff and safety kit. Um, well, in my sat's equipment's come on since you last time. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And uh, I think the size, the portability has, has been improved. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I remember that thing that we had in 2007 was in a <coughs> in one of them Peli cases, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't little. It was a big brick of a phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, no, um, yeah, so I'm just going to go and uh, guide the Arctic Circle Trail. Got a couple of clients booked on already. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Be good, It'd be good to get back to Greenland and get out into the that big wide open space where there's nobody. Yeah, yeah. So, so how would you source your? If you're going to go there, then you've got the airport to go from. You're going to have to take all your kit out there with you ready. Yeah. So your food and all. that. Yeah. So the the plan for that will be, um, barring gas, we'll fly. We'll take everything with us, and then you can buy gas <clears> when you <throat> land in uh, on the western side. So basically, there's an airport on the west, there's an airport on the east, and you walk between nine days. Perfect. What? Greenland? Yeah. The whole of Greenland? How wide is it? Uh, well, there. Well, what's the distance? I thought it was fucking massive. Yeah, at the top end it is, but at the bottom end... It's ah, lot, it's the bottom it's lot, end. Not, ah, right. Narrower. So, so where the Arctic Circle I goes see. around, it's narrower. I see. That and cut the tip off. Yeah, and in the summertime, um, quite a lot of it is free from snow and ice. So there's 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 villages and towns. And, ah, mate, awesome. Yeah, there's hardly any roads there, but um, go from coast to coast then. Yeah, go from coast to coast, pretty That's much. That's cracking. Yeah, it's a good photo, isn't it? Yeah, hopefully. Although I'm not very good at photos, I need to get better. So you did a course in photography. I need to do that. I think. Well, you got to... I can come along with you, mate. If it's, <laughs> I mean, you can pay me as a photographer. <laughs> I'm using the old uh, Samsung S8. That's my latest choice that, of camera. Is that the camera? <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, they take good pictures, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do, yeah, yeah. But so you can put the old uh, smiley face on and superimpose yourself on uh, in Greenland and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No, I um, I don't know if... I'm trying to think if I... If I would want to go and do Everest. I think I would have wanted to a few years back. And I say Everest because, as a layman, it's, it's the first it's, one that pops into your head. Exactly, and it's high going to Everest. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, I've heard, is K2 a harder climb? Yeah, significantly. Is it? Why yeah. is that then? Um, it's just more technical. It's it, Your average person of average fitness with a little bit of training can be guided up Everest. You need proper technical climbing <coughs> skills to climb K2. 
there's like ropes and yeah yes and um ice axes and all yeah that. all of that stuff ice picks not ice axes yeah no ice axes right yeah but it's yeah. it's all a lot more technical so yeah where's k2 pakistan in the oh, Car- i didn't know that yeah either. yeah it's in the karakoram What's the Karakoram? Uh, ooh, a mountain range. It's a yeah, northern northern Pakistan. It's right. a, it's part of um, it's a region. I think it's I think it's, it's in Kashmir. It might be just it's somewhere in that region. But there's um, a range called the Karakoram. Mm. You may have heard of the Karakoram Highway. No. No. Okay. What's that? Highway. Just in, some crazy highway. Yeah, big road in the Karakoram. No. Yeah. I yeah. Did, no. Didn't know that. Either. But yeah, there's some great trekking there as well, and that's somewhere we're looking to expand into at the moment. But has that got an ice cap? No. Uh, well, there's glaciers in the mountains because of the height <coughs> of them, but um, it doesn't have an ice cap as such, mm. n- not like Greenland does. Mm-hmm. So, what's, uh, so what's next after the, what's, your ne- what's next in the plan after Greenland then? Um, as in next, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing by the way your brain works, you want to do things that hardly ever get done or haven't been done. Yeah, I think that um, <coughs> pretty much anyone can do something that everyone else has done. You can just buy a guidebook and you know you can either pay someone to do it for you and guide you there or you can go and do it on your own um i'm much more interested in the places where not many people go or have hardly ever been visited where's the left that's never been done well there's not a lot of places but um or what's never been done challenges wise what's never been done like um is there anyone? Is there is there anywhere that's never been done solo, for example, or I don't know. Probably, but mm-hmm. I I think um, from 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 my perspective, from from Monkey Mountain's perspective, it's about providing opportunities for people to go <coughs> to places that are fantastic, but aren't mainstream and aren't busy. Yeah, we went on the Everest Base Camp trek in October, and whilst it was brilliant. I was just struck by the number of people on it um, because it is so popular. It's on everyone's bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going up to Everest Base Camp, we were in that conveyor belt of people. It didn't make it an awful trip. It was still great. But it takes something away from it, right? It takes something away from it. Yeah. Now, on the way back, we chose a different route and we hardly saw anybody. The tea houses where you stay in an evening were quieter. You mean on the route out of base camp back to Yeah, uh, so we didn't Kamandu. follow the normal route back. <coughs> we we went on a, a, a different, an alternative route. We saw loads of wildlife. We saw a lot more of, you know, the Nepalese people going about the business, the farming, their subsistence living. Um, and it was just really quiet. And it was a, an absolute marked contrast to the route up to base camp. Mm. And actually, I think that was more enjoyable because you felt more... I guess in touch with where you were yeah. and you got more of that cultural experience. Whereas on the way up, you know, there was every, every nationality there. The tea houses were busy. The trail was busy. You know, it's just like being in the city really. Mm. Now, I don't know what you can do to avoid that. If you want to go to have a space camp, you've got to accept that it's going to be busy because millions of other people on the planet <coughs> also want to go there. Um, and I guess from a Nepalese perspective, long may that continue because it's good for their economy. Um, but it doesn't suit everybody. And, you know, when, when you go into the hills, or from from my perspective, when I go into the hills, there's an element of, I guess, wanting that solitude. 
or just to be in the group that you're with, you know, and not be surrounded by millions of other people. Um, it's more of a sense of achievement, isn't it? Where it appears that like it was very few people have done it or yeah. doing it or attempting it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah, that solitude and that, uh, um, the, 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 the senses being exposed to pure nature. Yeah. And Get, not getting away from <clears throat> all of the people that, you know, you spend... Most you went to get away from. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you spend most of your time surrounded by loads of people, don't you? And so, you know, it's an opportunity for me, going to the mountains is an opportunity to get away from all of that. Um, just be the... We perhaps just be with the people you want to be with um, and have a, a, a time where it's quieter. Mm-hmm. Do you do any um, expeditions for, uh, closer to home? Or are they all sort of miles away? I don't know because what what other ranges are there? Closer ranges or not? What about South America? Do you think South America? So I'm going to South America in December. We're going to climb mm. a, a mountain called Aconcagua. So it's, I've heard of that. Yeah, the highest mountain yeah. in South America. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. that's what I've heard. It's also it. the highest mountain outside of the Himalayas. Ah. Yeah. How high? It's uh, now you're testing me, aren't you? Six thousand nine hundred and so many meters. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just shy of seven thousand meters. So it's significantly high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sits, it's inside Argentina, so southern Argentina, um, but it's not far from the Pacific, so it gets struck by the weather coming off the Pacific. Yeah. Um, so it's quite a challenge. Yeah. My mother's there now, Argentina. Uh, uh, what, on Aconcagua? No, she's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. If she is, she got lost. No, i got family out there. i got, I got oh, family right. out there. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. okay. got Argentine family, yeah. Yeah, bizarrely. Ah, interesting. Um... Is that a wreck of your expedition? It's an expedition. So I've got two clients at the moment and uh, there's still space for a couple more. Are they British? Uh, yeah, they're both British. Yeah, most of your clients are British. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, although, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from other nationalities booking onto our trips. Have, have you tried rolling it out to the military? Um, yeah, I've put some adverts out. Um, I think one of the clients is ex-military, actually. Huh. Um, or ex-RAF. Yeah. Uh, sort that, of military, I think that, that counts. Sort of military, I think it yeah. counts. Yeah, um, yeah, and so um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get a couple more. So, if anyone's got any um, previous altitude experience, up to say, say they've climbed Kilimanjaro, been to Everest Base Camp, and fancy the next challenge, Aconcagua, mm. give us a call. Mm. Yeah, if I, I give send me those details. I fire out a few people. Okay, yeah, we'll do. Yeah. Um, no reason to say fire out the military because. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, there's charities and stuff. Would get would would definitely look to organise expeditions and things. Yeah, so I think that's the next uh, the, I don't, I don't the next it, puzzle for me to solve is. I is don't think there is anyone doing that. Is there? Is there anyone doing the doing the sort of um, veterans, you know, expedition side of things, uh, mental health and all that? I don't know, but getting out in the hills is a great is great for your mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah and, uh, we need to encourage that more. I wonder. I wonder if I might have to go about organising an expedition. Yeah, where do you want to go? <laughs> I don't know. I'll speak to the blokes. <laughs> let's go. Let's cook it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do UK I'd skills... I'd be up for it, mate. We're well up for that. We'll be well up for it, yeah. Right, well, let's get it in the diary. Oh. Mm-hmm. So we Organising do... Organising um, something where get a... Sign up. Well, perfect example. Perfect example. Kate, so one of my guests on was a lady called Kate England. Her husband's James. And um, I mean, you, you won't mind me saying this. She spoke about it as well. He's 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 ex-military. He suffers from acute PTSD. I want to say acute. I, I met the guy. <clears throat> yep. It's for a bloke of um, 
a mature bloke, sort of my age, I think he is, you know, uh, to to not be able to, well, for example, she came on to the podcast, <clears throat> like we are now, yeah. and you know where we are, it's, it's only, only Baz, the sound engineer, uh, the studio guy, sorry Baz, the studio guy, it's <laughs> Baz's think, studio, the stu- studio think, Baz. Do you think you're still awake? I'm still awake, yeah. Um, it's only him, yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere, it's dead quiet, and but then James, he didn't feel com- comfortable enough to get out of the car and come in, sat in the yeah. car for two hours, Yeah, two hours. Ooh. Didn't even come to go to the toilet. It's like you know, it's it's that discomfort and uh, uh, anxiety and all that for someone like that to feel like you think no one should, whether you're military or not, ex-military yeah, or not, you should, no you one should. should have to be yeah. like that. Yeah, no one should be subject to that. You know, however about it's come about. But then one of the things that he really enjoys doing is being outdoors, yeah. be it golf. That's when he manages to get up the pluck, up the flipping courage to go on because when it's doing that it's with other people normally like he did a golf day charity golf day and somehow he went on it kit got him onto it and the people who organized they managed to get him onto it when he loved it yeah being, just that being outdoors out cutting about yes it's golf yeah it's not the mountains but it's the same thing yeah exactly almost the same thing yeah uh, but then he's he hasn't been since because he's just trying to put up the courage um but yeah he loves the outdoors and and if i can get a bunch of people or you can get a bunch of people together or someone get a bunch of people together and do an expedition. Expedition doesn't even have to be that technical. Just uh, go and get on top of a fucking mountain. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, but blokes, blokes that are you know have got mental health problems are suffering. You know, ladies as well. Ladies as well. Yeah, anyone really. All they want to do is is get out, get out in the fresh air, get out in the green space, and perhaps have a bit of banter. You you, you know you, you just can you can forget about all your worries when you're when you're in the outdoors. Can't it's you? something you don't realise no. the the positive impact it has until you get back into it. Because for a lot of people, it's something they haven't done since they were kids or yep. since they were early early you know twenties. Yeah, and then it's you know and then work career all that goes out and then that's it nine to five no time to do anything you know go, go drink on the weekend or or get kids. You get um, into that routine. You get the routine. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but you know a reminder of how how positive it is. Mate, we're flipping we're. We evolve in the outdoors. That's yeah. why we have such. That's why it has such a positive impact on us. I, I agree. Yeah. You know, uh, and and you feel so much better afterwards. Mm. Um, yeah, and I know. I don't know how long it stays with you. Don't know how long it lasts for. But the more you get out there, I guess the the better it is for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, recently, last six, sort of six, yeah, sort of six months ish. I've been trying to do. No, I, I think it's just yeah. I've been trying to do just a lot more of instead of like driving into town. It's like a fifteen-minute walk. Yeah, Ten, we're trying to go in. Bin the car. Just walking. Yeah, chill yeah. out. Walking. I'll have. I'll stick my headphones on. I'll have like a podcast going. Or not. Not my own podcast. <laughs> I can't stand. The <laughs> <laughs> shite. Listening, listening to your back issues. <laughs> I'll have a podcast on whatever. Walk in. Chill out. You know, and then walk back out. And it's that. <clears throat> the other thing with it is, you're doing something under your own steam. Almost everything people do these days. <clears throat> is out of necessity or because someone else needs it. Yeah. So I went, you know, I go to work because <clears throat> that's necessity, right? Yeah. Now, I'm very lucky enjoying my job, but it's also a necessity. I need money. And then, you know, uh, and then, um, and it, even then, you know, I, I'm divorced, I've got my kids with me all the time, but people got the kids to come back, they, they sit with the kids or they, you know, sit down and watch TV with a partner because necessity, right? R- relationship, yeah. bonding, um, and then they do whatever they do in the evening, go and do some fucking rugby training or whatever, all necessity. When you go out and you think I'm going to dedicate a day to 
or five days or six weeks, as you're saying, you know, get out in the, out in the mountains. That's you. You're doing that. Yeah. You're under your own steam. Even walking to town. I'm under my own steam. I can go as fast as slow as I want. Yeah, you're in charge. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As fast as slow as I want. I'm going to chill out, walk there, drop my mail off at the post office, or pick up my envelope, or whatever. I've been in and just walk around town and just come back out, which is, you know... But it makes you on, feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. It's calm. It's, it's calm. Under my own steam. I'm the captain of this ship. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Same thing. You're out there. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, it's hardcore. And you're out, hanging out your ass, trying to go, trying to go to a mountain, be it Penavan, or be it flipping K2, or be it in Greenland. It's your choice. It is, yeah. I, and But you, I just want to pick up on something you said there about it being challenging and hardcore. It doesn't have to be beyond the reach of people, you know, because not everybody's <clears> as fit <throat> as everybody. It doesn't matter what your fitness level is. A good guide can take you out in the hills and give you a good experience at your level. Um, and that's what we try to do. We make it inclusive for everybody. And I don't see there should be any barriers, mental or physical health. You know, if you can walk or you can get yourself about, you should be able to get out in the hills with the right support. Um, yeah. How do we get more people doing it, though? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this, with, with the physical side, te- the technical stuff would be some physical issues would become an issue technically. But, you know, for the lengths of... No, you're right, mate. You're right. just so beneficial. Yeah. Couch potatoes, I don't realise. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's easy, isn't it, to, to be comfortable. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and and doing something different does take a bit of effort. You're nailing two things as well. You, you're doing physical exercise and that and that nature. Oh, yeah. There's, nature. there's so many health benefits to it. Um, you know, it helps with your weight management, builds your strength, helps with your cardiovascular. Um, bucket list. Yeah, it helps you tick things off your bucket list. Yeah. Helps with your helps with your um, mental health. Um, it's very, it's it's positive. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see any negatives to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we should get more people into it. Well, well I'm definitely thinking about uh, a military expedition, ex-military. I'll have to chat a bit. Chat well, a bit about it after this. We'll be there for you. We can we can yeah. we can make that work. Yeah, definitely. That sounds good, mate. Um, just need to try and get six weeks off work. <laughs> 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 become self-employed <clears throat> I know yeah uh, and then it's just well <laughs> you, you, you choose we do something nearby and do it five days yeah of course yeah def- yeah. so def- we, you can do tube cal in a six day trip that's South America uh, no in Morocco North oh, Africa what's the one in South America Aconcagua Aconcagua you need about tube- a month for that <clears throat> so you can do tube cal in Morocco in six days yeah that includes flying in and flying back yeah F- really yeah how high is that? 4,167 metres. How technical is that? No, it's not. You can walk it. Mate. Uh, and, oh. I think we've planned it. It's done. I see your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah, done. Yeah, so you can you can, you can can leave the UK. You can arrive there. You can do the trek. Finish off in Marrakesh. A few beers to celebrate. Uh, you know, night out. And then back, <coughs> back home. Six days. That's all you need. It's a plan. That is definitely a plan. Now, people do that in a long weekend or a weekend but they get altitude sickness yeah that's right it's like a hangover yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like a right. night out just, just like a night out it's just like a weekend out but yeah six days risk of death <laughs> six days oh, nice. there we go there we yeah. go there we go uh, uh, tube car 
Mm. Done. Planned. Just need the dates now. Dates and people. How big can the expeditions be? Uh, what you mean numbers wise? Yes. Uh, as big as a, as big or as small as you want. I mean, we specialize in small groups, so I, eight, <clears throat> eight is a good number. Six is a good number. But if you wanted to take more, it's, it's doable. Obviously, less people, the more costly. A little bit. Mm. Not significantly on that trip. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about um, when you are organizing your expeditions? What do you advise on? How, how I suppose you must do. Do you let's say now I, I go, Oi, Sam, I want to do uh, Aconcagua, Aconcagua, yeah, yeah, in South America. Uh, what's the score, buddy? I would like to do that expedition, so, and you've got one going on in December. Can yeah. I join it? Yeah, of course, you can. But what I'd be looking for mm-hmm. would be <clears throat> some previous altitude experience. Perhaps you've already been up Kilimanjaro or some similar height. Is that because that one in South America is quite technical? No, it's not technical. Right. But you need to understand, when when you want to go to that altitude, you need to understand how your body's going to perform, how you're going to feel. We all feel different. We all perform differently. So it's about having some knowledge of how you're going to deal with that altitude. How do you take, uh, what about someone as a first timer then? I wouldn't take them on Aconcagua as a first timer. Right, okay, because I want of them to gain some altitude experience first of all. I see. Um, so like Marica, uh, Morocco. Yeah, you could go and do that or go and climb Kilimanjaro. You can do that in 10 days, England to England. You can do shorter routes actually, but... I thought Kilimanjaro, hang on, is Kilimanjaro not K2? No. No, it's not, is it? No. Shit, Diff- what's K2 called? K2 is called K2. I thought it had a name, some crazy name. Ooh. Well, it's if got it, some crazy local name, like it's got, it like may, the it, mountain of the devil or something. Yeah, well, it might have a crazy like local that, name. I don't. Like I'll look that, that up now. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. yeah, No, no, Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa. I'm a moron. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. So it's just right. under six thousand meters. Right. Five eight nine five. I see. So, right. Okay. Yeah. So you, you be, I, I understand. I understand just, that, yeah, just yeah, north yeah. of the equator. Yeah. So you're looking at. So if, basically, if someone wants to go above, so your ball, you look like someone wants to go above sort of a six k, six and a half k up. You ideally want them to have some previous experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> you'd want to know that they've got the uh, technical skills. Now you don't need a lot of technical skills, but they need to be com- competent and capable of using crampons and ice axes. How do, how do these people get away with that and with Everest then? And they got there the first time. Well, they get guidance, so they get training. Ah. Someone will give them training. Ah. And, and so if you've not been in crampons and used your ice axe, the guide will give you some training. I see. And, and you know, you, you learn it on the job. But yeah. ideally... You, you just want, don't know your body. No, you want to, yeah, you, you want yeah. to have done all that stuff before you go there. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so if so if you wanted to come to Aconcagua, I'd be looking for that previous altitude experience uh, and I'd be looking for some winter skills. Now, if you haven't got any winter skills, we could just nip to Scotland and get that sorted. Uh, you, know, you can do that in a weekend. Yeah. So is it quite cold then? Yeah. It, All year round? Uh, I don't know what it's like in the... Is it just above Uruguay then, is it? Oh, no, you test testing me. Yeah, because right at the bottom of South America is Uruguay, isn't it? Yeah, right. Um, Tierra del Fuego is right at the bottom, isn't it? That's in Uruguay, isn't is it? Is it in Uruguay? Is that where it is? Yeah, Tierra del Fuego is not a country. Ah, is that not in... I don't know. I know that I've been there because that's where I sailed <laughs> to the Antarctic <laughs> from there. <laughs> What did you go to the Antarctic for? Oh, uh, went on an expedition in 2012. <laughs> climbed some mountains. Well, there's no mountains there, is it? Yeah, yeah is it? Yeah. How big? Yeah, um, up to 
4,000 metres. Flipping heck, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It's just pure ice. Well, they're rocky. Some of them are quite steep. What? No ice on them? Yeah, yeah. Too steep. So it's rocky. But it's white. Antarctica's white. Most of it. You're baffling me now. Most of it's white. <laughs> most of it is white. But it, it, it's an absolute fantastic place to go mountaineering. Um, if you base yourself off a yacht. I did not know this. Go on. <clears> so you, if you base yourself off a yacht, you've got all the luxury of living on a yacht with a hot shower and a kitchen and you know somewhere to sleep. And you get on a little boat, like a, a rib, yeah. with an outboard. Jet off to a beach. With your skis and your climbing gear. Ice beach, though. Sometimes it's rocky. Right, right. Yeah, if, so if you get to somewhere where there's not a glacier carving off, you know, there'll be penguins and seals looking at you as if, what, what are these crazy things? <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, you put your skis on, skin up to the top of a mountain, give yourself... S- s- ski? Yeah. To the top? Yeah. Okay, go on. Uh, so you put these, uh, this called skins, and they go on the bottom like of... grips? Yeah, so... When your ski slides forward, it, your ski slides forward, and it grips. It does, and it, yeah, it grips. It doesn't slide back. I've never heard of him, but I guess what they're yeah. Right, so you, yeah. you can skin up a mountain, get to the top, <laughs> give yourself a pat on the back, look at the view. Isn't this fantastic? A ski down the other side, get picked up by the boat. Four thousand meters up? No, not all four thousand meters, but but you can ski up. Yeah, that is fucking awesome. I can't and, ski and up and a snowboard. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Take a splitboard. A what? A splitboard. What? <laughs> So he's making so- stuff up now, mate. No. You told me that Antarctica's not white, right? It's rocky bits. <laughs> and you've got skis that can ski uphill. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, what's the split board, you bluffer? Well, hey, so it's a... <laughs> bluffer. So it's, a, it's, it's, um, it's your snowboard, and it, and it clips together, and so you can put skins on it, so you can, oh you can go up, walk up yeah and then when you want to come down get them skins off clip it back together it's a snowboard splitboard have you never heard of that no it's not come on expand your snowboard I've not heard of that you to tell the missus that one yeah get splitboard splitboard yeah mate right that's yeah. I like the sound of that as well so they're becoming more popular splitboards yeah yeah so because so have you done any backcountry snowboarding no I've done Milton Keynes I've not I've right. only done it indoor in the UK so there you go so Milton Keynes you get on the lift don't you and then you come back down. The button lift, and yeah. yeah. you don't need to take your snowboard off, do you? No. And you don't have to walk anywhere. No. So, but if you're in the mountains and you want to come down, first of all, you've got to get up. Yeah. And if they're in a button lift... Oh, you've got to walk up. You've got to walk up. Right. So, why not skin up? So, split board, skins on, up you go, take the skins off, put the board back oh, together, God. down you come. That's another expedition. Perfect. I... Mate... Filling me knowledge here. <laughs> skins on and split boards. Yeah. When did you do that? 2012? Yeah, 2012. So did you go, did you fly to Uruguay? We flew into Chile, Santiago, and then flew down to Tierra del Fuego, as you used to say. And then we we got a, we had a steel-hulled yacht that we sailed across the uh, Drake Passage. On that tick? Ten days. How many people were there? There were 24 on the expedition total. Oh, quite a few then. Yeah, 12 of us on that yacht. And the the other 12 flew into, um, what's it called? Rothera, where the British Antarctic Survey have their base. Oh, okay. I don't know about that. Yeah. No, Rothera. Yeah. Mate, that is... Uh, I'm, I'm still, I've got a split board going around my head. <coughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, that, was a, that was a great expedition, that was. Um, How long did it take? Uh, we were out for... Two and a half months. Really? Yeah. Doing, so hang on. Doing what in all that time? Oh, well, we did a little bit of work in support of the National Science Programme. 
like uh, for the British Antarctic Survey. Did you, so was that like a part of a sponsorship thing or? I, I wasn't that deeply involved in the organisation of that part of it. Okay. I was more involved with the, the mountaineering side, the training side and the, the mountain safety. Yeah. Um, but we... What did you do with them? We lugged some big heavy GPS transmitters um, that they were going to bolt to some rocks to measure the, I don't know what it's called, uplift. So when the, you know, when the ice melts, apparently there's less weight pressing down. And the Geomor- rocks, you're talking about geomorphology. Yeah, and the rocks rise up. So we, we lugged some GPS transmitters across the, um, <coughs> across the peninsula for them to bolt down. Got you. Um, and then once that was done, we went climbing, skiing and climbing. Is, and, exp- yeah. and exploring, yeah, uh, which was which was brilliant. That is fucking cool. Yeah, yeah it is cool. Um, oh, it's cool indeed. Right, right. So, well, I mean, looking at the time, we uh, need to start wrapping it up. But no, no, not up there. I'm, I'm daydreaming at the time of my watch. <clears throat> um, Monkey Mountaineering. How do people get hold of you? MonkeyMountaineering.com. Yeah, monkeymountaineering.com. Yeah. We're on Facebook, Monkey yeah. Mountaineering. We're on Instagram, Monkey Mountaineering. I just tagged you on Instagram before this. Superb. Yeah. I like that. Do it again. We're on Twitter, but I'm not very good at using Twitter, but we're on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're on LinkedIn. And again, I'm not very good at using that, but I need to get better. LinkedIn's a good one. Twitter's a weird one. Yeah. I've just started sort of last couple of months to get back into it. Not got my head around it yet. <sighs> very negative, mate. Very, very negative. Mm. That people go down the rabbit hole of negativity. It's mm. a weird one. Maybe I should avoid it. It's odd. It. Well, no, there's lots of positive on there, but it's an odd one. I think <clears> that <throat> the main the main mediums for us are Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram. I mean, mountaineering, you can take great pictures, and that's great for Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, 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 the yep. yeah, the videos, yeah, yeah. Um, monkeymountaineering dot com. Where do you do? Would you do training in the UK? Or? Yeah, so uh, we can we can sort out any UK skills-based training so navigation hill skills uh winter skills climbing coaching indoor climbing development any of that age ranges from well normally normally deal with adults to be honest um but not averse to children families whatever mm-hmm. um where's the training based out of Mount, wherever where where in where, the uk yeah yeah so wherever it wherever it works for the client oh, okay so if it was going to be for yourself we'd probably get into north wales perhaps mm-hmm. um somewhere where there's hills somewhere where you can achieve what what the aims are that you want to you know so you might come to me and say look hey, i'm rubbish at navigating so we can go in the hills i would never say that <laughs> i know <laughs> but you you might you, you know you, you, no, some, you somebody mean. might do and yeah, yeah. off we'd go but but raf know, raf would say that no they've got men to navigate for them they don't need to navigate <laughs> they don't need to navigate on their own do they they've got someone to do that for them <clears throat> um, but yeah, w- wherever it's suitable. O- obviously, you know, if you want to do winter skills, it's probably going to be in Scotland. More reliable winter up there, but sometimes the lakes and whales are, are good for the winter. Mm-hmm. And if you want to climb, climb indoors or outdoors, wherever's suitable, really. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we knock on the head? No. Mate, it's been, been a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah. Uh, especially the expedition side of things, really, uh, <laughs> drop some knowledge bombs on me. <laughs> well, this is a, this is split the split board and um, Antarctica's not all white. No. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I apologise to the RAF. I don't. You're awesome. I don't mean it. Navigation skills are fantastic. They're all good. Yeah, amazing. Well, thanks for having me on, mate. Been a pleasure, Sam. Cheers. Let's uh, let's chat in a minute about uh, Morocco. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Let's make something happen. <laughs>
Sorry, mate. Says it to all the boys. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can help continue the podcasts to continue. Shocking sentence, but you can help to continue by supporting them on uh, Patreon.com patreon.com forward slash hour or go on to the website for the podcast which is charliecharlie1.com and hit become a patron it'll take you through to the link take you through to the website patreon and you can uh, you can sign up to be a patron you get certain perks like you get to listen to the podcasts 24 hours before anyone else gets them not 24 hours normally the day before it can be up to 24 hours before and uh, also you get money off the online shop where the merchandise is and we sell the green beret coffee and all the rest of it plus you get access to certain competitions. All the competitions now. All the freebies get given to the Patreon supporters now, I think. I think that's the case, just to reward them because they are fantastic and help us continue to keep going. As do the sponsors. Just a reminder, Westway Nissan sponsored us today. Westwaynissan.co.uk, the UK's largest Nissan dealership, giving up to 20% off purchases for ex-military or serving military personnel. Also, a Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes.org, uh, organising events to raise money for military charities. The next event is on the 10th and 11th of May at the Old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. I'll be there getting smashed in rugby on the Saturday and in alcohol on the Saturday evening. I'll see you there. Um, thank you to Rugby Heroes. They're also on social media, Rugby Number 4 Heroes, so give them a follow. And finally, last but not least, Team Rubicon UK. TeamRubiconUK.org. If you're able to donate to them, please do so. If you want to volunteer, become a prestigious grey shirt and res- respond, deploy overseas or in the UK to disasters where people need assistance, then you can do that by going online and registering teamrubiconuk.org. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Sam. And thank you to my Patreon supporters. Until the next time, out.